0: Live from WBN Radio, this is Derailed Trains of Thought.
1: Kind of nice being uh, here, live
0: radio right now. Hey, it's uh, you know it's it's nice to be at a professional place for a change. Yes, and I mean at least it seems professional. People
1: running around a little crazy and something seems to be going a little wrong backstage but yeah hopefully everyone's okay yeah hopefully yeah it's an opening night so maybe they're just nervous yeah it could be well i mean and the sound effects guy is kind of frazzled but sound effects guys are supposed to be frazzled like that that's just that's just nature of the beast i'm excited to be here though you know we learned probably something from this radio station for our own podcasting
0: i hope so hopefully hopefully it will go just as smooth as it seems to be going here tonight so uh but how are you doing nick i'm doing very well
1: actually it's been nice
0: Finally, getting to spring after yep. a long, long winter. <laughs> long winter, but uh, but it was a nice April. Um, really a
1: long winters. I've been reading uh, Lion, Witch and Wardrobe* to Theo. Oh, yep. nice. He really enjoys it. Uh, he, now Theo is three now. Four. Four. So <laughs> he doesn't. I mean, he really wants to read it, and he seems to understand the big ideas. As long as we ask him questions, we go along. Okay. Um, but he's always like, one more chapter, one more chapter. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, that's it's cool. been fun.
0: That's that's great to get to pass uh, along about classics like that. Yeah,
1: he's been enjoying it.
0: Oh, cool. Well, anyway, um, now it's time for our project update. All right. So it's been a little while since we've done one of these.
1: Um, who wants to go? <laughs> I guess I'll go first since you're coughing. Yeah. Okay. Um, mainly, what I've been doing for w- the first time in a, quite a long time has been working consistently on book three of and Fred.
0: Yay! Like,
1: like every day, I sit down and I write a page or two, which is pretty impressive for me. I mean, it has been yeah. many, many years since I've worked consistently. <laughs> on we've, we've heard you talk about. Yeah, I'm really. Oh yeah, started. I'm really on this podcast numerous times. <laughs> But no, no, that's pretty
0: cool. So what have you, what have you been able to do? Like a chapter, two uh, chapters a week or uh, like I that? don't,
1: I don't really know. I know, I think I've read, I've written 10, 12 chapters since I've started working regularly. Now, string chapters, if you don't know, are pretty short. They tend to be 1,500 word average chapters. Still long monologues in them? Oh yeah, sure. Especially Timothy this time. <laughs> um and in case anyone doesn't know,
0: Timothy was named before he ever met me. That's so. Yeah. True. Yes. <laughs> um
1: Timothy's a very poetic sort of minded character. He tends to get rambly. He tends to get rambly, yes. He's uh kind of sparring off with uh Soldano for the souls of the Horizon folk. Well, fun. Through story. Through story? <laughs> yeah. They're they're doing a poetry slam. Well kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily he's not a poetry slam because I, he already Timothy already has to go say poetry more often than I would feel like writing it, but <laughs> Fun. <laughs> and then Fred's just been fun. He's he's been dealing with uh Kex True Knight's uh previous girlfriend who is very bitter at having been upstaged by Harmony.
0: Oh interesting and this is all uh, while they're on their quest to find the cure for... they're kind of
1: stuck right now yeah because oh. well because they, they they're, they're stuck so they can have more monologues well obviously. what happened is that they're on their quest they got you know to the link to as close they knew where to go and then they're in the city and then they're going to get help from the town except the princess hates the trio because of previous experiences so they have to deal with that issue ah. before they move on right gotcha so. Yeah. Complications, complications. Kyle, always complications. Yep. And Webby's gone. He's just do he's looking for well, he's just he's not there right now and no one knows where he is. Ooh. Dun dun dun. But he's my Dussek Machina, so <laughs> I see. <laughs> Thanks for the hint, sir. <laughs> No, but it's it's been when it first. Well, I'll save that for later. But that's yes, that's
0: that. That's that. Okay, and I suppose I should give some update for New Wells Rising, the next book in Children of the Wells, which is woefully behind (laughs) schedule uh, right now. I mean, I've made I've made decent progress this month, or at least decent progress from my relative inexperience at writing. He's getting good at at squeezing blood from turnips. Yeah, basically. um but it's like i said it's at about eleven thousand words right now i had to yeah i, I turned two chapters into five somehow <laughs> um but it's moving along but we'll get again we'll get into more of that with our topic this week which is very uh writer focused although i think other people will get uh will get something out of this uh, but let's get into story school Right, story school. Today we are talking about outlines versus free form. What's, so, as,
1: as they say, uh, pantsers versus outliners.
0: <laughs> yeah. What's, uh, what I think a lot of non-writers don't really realize is that um, not every writer outlines their story completely until... Not every story writes their story before they write their story.
1: And, and my guess is, and I don't know, because I, I use outlines more than I used to. I used to be, well, Strind and Fred has always been largely outlining my head and then just right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I've, I've toyed with the idea of outlining it more, and I've always resisted it for that particular series because that's how I started, and I feel like it should, it, there's, a, there's a certain amount of danger and of looseness to Strind and Fred that would change if I outlined it, I think. Now, that might be good. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's too rambly. But I figure, hey, I started it that way. People like it that way. I'm going to keep it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Once you're this far into it, you really can't change yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, it could, but but I think there's a whole continuum between people who just they don't know anything, they start writing, and people who outline everything before they start.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm I'm obviously on the on the on the end with more outline. Like I like to have a. I no longer like to start. Kind of, I have no idea where this is going. Mm. I like to start having some idea about at least the next step and kind of, what is the general arc of this book, you know, what is, what do I want to accomplish at least thematically even if all my details change
0: and certainly this varies depending on what's your uh, what sort of medium you're writing for you can get away with this a lot more i think in a individual person's novel or mm-hmm. you know a short story or whatever with yeah. just the the free form you yeah. know not knowing what's going to come i actually heard this interview with his author Stephen james a few weeks back he writes a lot of mysteries and thrillers and stuff and he said that he usually has like an idea for his for his mystery for his novels, but he said that even he oftentimes won't know who did the murder until like until some time while he's writing it, which I thought was fascinating because I always assumed that mystery was like the one genre that you had to <laughs> have it all outlined or figure it out. But he said he and he said like he actually wound up changing who did it one time because he he came up with an idea he thought was better than the than who he originally
1: had thought That's committed awesome. it. So I was like, hey, kudos to, to that guy. Interestingly, I kind of on accident, I didn't mean to relate to this podcast, but I listened to, to a 15-minute podcast by, uh, well, it's Brandon Sanderson and some other writers, which I don't know their names, and I probably should. They do, they call writing excuses, and then seasons of this, I guess, um, but... One the, they were doing uh kind of a quick answering people's questions. One was talking about is okay if not outlining, and they they mentioned that sometimes, especially fantasy writers, if they don't outline, they tend to have character bloat. They tend to have too many characters, the story gets too big, and you mm-hmm. can't do anything with it. Right. Too much world building. Too much world building. Too many characters doing different things. Too many plot lines, which is probably not just in fantasy, but I think fantasy has a tendency to be, they want to change the world, mm-hmm. you know. Sure. And which. I can kind of, which I understand it, because Stray and Fred, obviously, is a weird name for a book that has, you know, <laughs> multiple important characters. How many, like 20? Well, so, well, probably not important anymore. I'm weeding some them out this book. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> you heard it right here, folks. But I do think that you really do have, when you're making things up without much of an outline, you have to be careful about staying focused. That it's very easy to get derailed um, not in a not, good way <laughs> exactly and I think that's one thing I do have most times with Strange Fred, I, I have a very strong idea of here's the main here's kind of my general end point let's get there and then you have to deal with all the you know and I keep thinking okay I don't want to get too far out first book I just kind of create people and then after the first book then second book because this is my first book I ever wrote you know just kind of I tried stuff right and it kept adding characters <laughs> so uh, second book then I sort of I gave him new purposes, started intertwining him a little better because I felt like I needed to control all this stuff. You know, I had to bring him back. Have a plot line where Selena's finally going to, you know, do something. Do something and come back. And yeah, have everyone try to be semi important. I mean, some people can't be. It's like on TV series, you know, sometimes the character is just useless for a while. Yeah. You know. So, would you say the
0: first Strin and Fred book is sort of your revolution of books in a sense? Meaning, referring to the revolution, as our the, our our first serial oh, yes. project you did. Yes.
1: Okay, I was making sure that's what you meant and that the audience knew. Okay. Yes. I mean, it was very. I mean, it was very much. I did start that having no idea where I was going. Wait, I mean, I just made things up which, as I went. The revolution was one of Nick's first. Uh, I'm sure we've mentioned
0: it before. but case you are new listener. Um, It was one of our first collaborative projects, well, one of his first, I wasn't there when you started it, but uh, you did with other writers, where each writer signed up for a chapter at a time, and no one had any plan for where it was going. (laughs) Writers threw in new stuff all the
1: time, whether it related to the previous chapter or not. And there's a lot of good ideas in it, and it's complete chaos. (laughs) Yes. And the best chapters, in many ways, are the ones that would take all the random stuff and try to make sense of it. Yeah, and actually try to tie it all together. I mean, it was easier for me because I was one person, so I didn't have so many different things. <laughs> right. But I do remember very distinctly writing this chapter where Strin tells a story to Keck about the history of the Horizon. And think in my mind, when I got th- that this story, I don't remember when I was writing it or after I wrote it or during I was writing it, that this story is an outline for the rest of the series.
0: Oh, interesting. So
1: I, because I, at that point, I knew I need focus. You uh-huh. know, I, I, before then, it's interesting. I'm, I'm the sort of person where, when I'm making stuff up, I'll say, okay, here's something I might come back to. it. I have an idea where, you know, the shape of what, like, say this character would be, or this, you know, I'm, leave some name or some random historical fact, I have a shape of it in my head, but I don't say anything about it, so I can come back to it if I want and expand upon it, or I can just let it be there, you know? I don't feel compelled to make everything mean something. I just like to leave places where I can fill things in if I need them. Mm. you're not like trap doors so not everything in your book has deep underlying symbolism <laughs> no not necessarily okay yeah. they, they, they they talk
0: enough for that so <laughs> <laughs> so would you say but you did kind of suggest that as you've gone you tend to have some form of more of a, an official outline than maybe just the one that
1: you have in your head generally I found a lot of stories now I do have well it's been so long as I've done something brand new that was that was long They've hmm. done a lot of shorter stuff, and I don't need outlines as That's much for true. that. Okay, um, well then I guess. But, but like, they like, sn- girl called Snort one time before it was finished. I was girl called Snort a serial about the girl, a girl with a pig's face, and I started just making stuff up and asking for you know readers to give me answers to questions and stuff, and then it got stopped. And then I thought, well, I'd like to take this back up, and I was going to try to submit it to a place that serialized stuff, and I could make up as it went for them. And I made an outline for it before I had finished it. Which was really, really hard for me. <laughs> hmm. And then when I finally, and then they didn't accept it, and I, it dropped again for a couple of years. And then when I rewrote it, I looked at the outline. I didn't follow it necessarily, but there was a lot of ideas in it that i like, I'm going to use that. The Castle of the Blind, one of Tim's favorite sections, where there are complete darkness, they're in this castle. That's from that outline with hmm. the swords and everything. Cool. Um, I don't think the river is. I think the river is completely new. Yeah, that um. makes sense. <laughs> you you played with a lot of random
0: ideas in Girl Called Snort, so it would be it would be uh, unfair to the story in some sense to try to outline it completely because that's that's sort of your Alice in Wonderland. type Yeah, exactly. Story. And
1: and a lot of my fantasy tends to be more that style than world building fantasy, mm. and so I can get away with less in some ways. Yeah. But like showing uh, the wells, which we've talked about here before, we're very all our writers we forced to make outlines yes which is yeah that, that is new and this is very new for us but the reason is we have to make sense with each other yeah and we have to know that the story we have very kind of set ideas of every story has to have kind of an emotional arc and stuff and you know if you're just writing for yourself you can say yes of course it does but when you're working with other people and other people who are working with you everyone's got to be on the same page and putting on paper now I don't think any of the outlines have turned out exactly like. No, not 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 really. So, like you've been writing, you, your two chapters turned to five. Mm-hmm.
0: So what happened? <laughs> yeah, the first two chapters turned to five. Well, I just found that as I was going, it needed more space, and uh, and we'll see what other people think of it when they actually get uh, to it. But like I I, I kind of felt like in retrospect, the first part of the outline I was just kind of rushing through things, and then it got more detailed later in the outline as I had to either because I was wrestling with more characters or I want, I was curious enough to want to detail exactly how they got from point to point. Whereas in earlier on, I was, I kind of had a, had a pretty general idea in my head. I was like, I'll figure this out as I get there. And then I realized later that (laughs) it needed more time to be able to get there. Um, which real quick for people who aren't writers who don't quite understand, well, how, how, how come you don't, because I hear some fans talk and they, they feel like, you know, say, um, We'll bring in Lost. Here, <laughs> I knew you were gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so p- people of Lost who like watch a show like Lost or you know some other thing that they want the writers to have everything planned out before time, and they'll be like, "Well, why isn't that kind of lazy to, to just have you know wait for things to come up? Why why do that? Why because wouldn't that create more problems later?" And to talk about why I I think is it's not. Let's I want to talk about something that's sort of side tangent, but it relates to writing in the same. In a storytelling sense, I heard this interview with Brian Henson mm-hmm. related to the Creature Workshop. This was on the Nerdist so you podcast. Got lost and Muppets, and so far, exactly. <laughs> and uh, we're it's, we're doing good here. Um, but he was talk They were they were talking to him about uh, you know the process of making creatures and why they do it and all this kind of stuff. And oh, and particularly what's the advantage of live animatronic creatures over CGI. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Brian Henson pointed out is that. In animatronics and puppetry and stuff, one thing that they're constantly trying to achieve is a sense of real life, of spontaneity. And with computer animation, you don't always have a sense of spontaneity because it always has to be choreographed. The movements have to be precisely and rendered. They plan it way before. Yeah. They plan it way before. And with a creature, you're able to get the the spontaneity of life out of it. And like, you know, you can see how it actually moves and the performer can make decisions, you know, in the well, moment, in the moment. It's like how we talked about last uh, episode about that. That's why they do the digital puppetry of Sid, the science kid. Mm-hmm. Henson company is all about trying to capture that. Well, with writing, there's also a sense of that. You, you, uh, There's certain things that, one, you can't know until you get to a certain, until you're actually living, walking in the character's yeah. shoes, that you discover these things. But then also, if you're not able to be surprised as an author, then it's going to be a lot harder to surprise your audience, in a sense.
1: Yeah, I, that's sometimes my excuse. And I don't know if it's a true one, but I think it is partly true. Why it took me so long to finish Unremarkable Squire. Mm. That one, I had outlined... And I wrote, and then by near the end, I was, I had been fulfilled with it. (laughs) (laughs) But I think more to the point, as much as you think you have an idea of how things can work out, especially if it's a complicated story, characters do things you don't, you don't know they'll do to get there. You think it sounds practical that so-and-so will choose left instead of right. And then you get there and you're like, make him choose left seems like you're forcing him to do it when he really doesn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Instead, he wants to set up camp. I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, I remember just a couple, when I, when I first started this strand Fred work again, it was very hard because I had not written for a long time and I, and I didn't. But I wrote a couple chapters. One or two of them might get completely cut by the end. And then I thought, oh, I got this cool idea. And I wrote this little mini outline. You know, it's kind of like five words and an arrow and five more words sort of outline i'm like ah this is my like my signpost for the rest of it seriously within one page i had changed one of those things <laughs> because it sounded like a good idea in my head and then when I got right down on the ground i'm like that's not what would happen that logically doesn't make any sense uh-huh. at least for me i'm very much a character writer the characters complicated characters do strange things mm-hmm. and it's hard for me to when i'm writing inside a character's head i can say oh things just happen But trying to stand back and write, especially with his main character, Sir and Fred, to write an outline what everyone will do and then have it work, Mm -hmm. This is why I resist writing outlines for something like that. Something like um, Will's Orphan, where it's very two people. Inner monologue, But even that, this whole last third is different. Mm -hmm. um, Because when it got to that point, she was in a different place emotionally. She wouldn't work it out in the same way. You know, I, I originally had her kind of just like like half dead in like depression and then it, it kind of like that but there are I had a storm you know you needed stuff you needed there. stuff to happen she so couldn't just be
0: lying yeah it sounded, it sounded good in
1: an outline but yeah. then it lasted all of like two sentences in the book <laughs> when sometimes you can write two sentences like you did and you say oh wait this needs yeah cause you have to yeah and maybe we're just not good at writing outlines I don't know <laughs>
0: <laughs> well you know you it's, it's It could be. It is a difference between summarizing what happens, like, okay, they traveled this, this journey, and then saying, well, but you
1: can't just say they traveled this far. You have to say what they were doing. While, while I mean, I, I think the point stands that things change when you're down down in the ditches, but I suppose, like, I remember reading, it's been a long time, um, on screenwriting by J. Michael Straczynski, and when you write a, an outline, it's like a beat outline. You actually write, mm. you know, basically exactly what's going to happen without the dialogue, Mm-hmm. In in many ways, I think um, yeah, I think Robert McKee
0: would agree with that approach a lot too. Like I remember in his book Story, he outlines like a scene from Casablanca. You know, it shows beat for beat. You know what changes in the conversation. It's like I mean, it could just be you know, it's the beat is maybe just one line between each character yeah. for each character each, and that's that's a, that's a that's a shift of some sort in emotions and attitude of conflict, you know, all that kind of stuff. And especially,
1: I guess, especially when you're going to write a visual script, you know, you need people to be, yes, this is going to make sense before you go down and get the details. I mean,
0: yeah.
1: since we brought up Lost, I know when they were in the writer's room, they got like eight writers in there and they work out the beats. Mm-hmm. They don't have the dialogue yet. And then they give to the person and, and I'm sure it changes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably. Then, But then they know here's where the commercial break. I mean, you have a very solid structure. True. That you yeah. have to make work. Yeah. Yeah. TV, TV got writing. got six acts. Yeah. And... TV writing has a very specific thing.
0: Although I have noticed... Sometimes, what was I watching? It might have been agents of shield. I forget now, but there was one where I noticed because i you know it was some show that I often watch online on Hulu, and you you kind of Learn to see where the commercial breaks are because yeah. they have those little dots on the outline where you see it's going to be. I noticed that, like, one was really different. Like, because a lot of times what you'll have is you'll have long segments toward the beginning of the show. And then you'll have some short segments in between I commercial breaks as up. things are getting – yeah, wrapping up. Well, there's one where they had a very short – I think it was Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because they had a very short segment. Earlier in the episode than they normally would. I think that's because this was about a time when, you know, massive changes are happening yeah. on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and yeah. all kinds of crazy stuff was happening. So they knew there they could get away with having the shorter break earlier on yeah. and then later they could have the kind
1: time
0: of to expand and kind of reflect on what it all had happened, all yeah. that kind of stuff, which
1: I thought was really interesting that they could change up the format that yeah. way. Yeah. But you still have, I think you almost always have six acts, don't you?
0: Yeah, something like that.
1: I mean, you have, you used to be. It used to be like when I read it on screen right, it was intro, four acts, and tag, or teaser, four acts, and tag. Now I think the teaser and tag have become longer. Okay. And so they're they're official acts now. Yeah, I know Arrow is is very bad, and like they
0: have some very very short segments, especially toward the end of the show. I remember watching it with my grandma, she'd be like,
1: "We just had a commercial."
0: That's because they're that's they're trying to you know really get you hooked
1: and keep yeah. watching during that last act. Yeah. Or whatever, whatever it's called. But I do I do find, um, I think as, I find that I don't like to write things now unless I have some sort of, longer things, unless I have some sort of ending in mind. Maybe mm-hmm. the ending changes, but here's point A, here's point B, and it's good if I have a couple point Cs and a couple things in the middle because that's usually where I get stumbled, but that's the hardest part for me to outline. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes, I resi- and maybe I shouldn't, but sometimes I resist the outline for the middle because I want to figure it out. But then the downside is that you have a ten- you have a possibility of rambling of searching for it for a while mm-hmm. through the writing and maybe you if you're a good editor at least you can search for it and then go back and mm-hmm. strengthen I guess that's the real advantage of the books is mm-hmm. so that you can get away with just making up on as you go that's true part of a good outline is building in enough flexibility in it to be able to change things as you as as needed that that's the crazy thing about from what I understand about Battle on Five, he'd outlined to all five seasons before it started. Like general, general. Points, I think he had yeah. note cards of all the main points and stuff, uh-huh. and he had trap doors for all the actors that needed to get changed and stuff. So he he understood that like here's the plan and here's plan B. Right. But I can't even imagine the show if Sheridan if um Sinclair had been the captain the whole time. Yeah. I don't even know what it would look like.
0: Uh, and he, yeah, because apparently, and he knew that the captain needed the change too because he yeah. wasn't
1: that captain wasn't going to do things that uh, he needed to to have the captain do. But apparently after season four ended, which, you know, was whole debacle anyways, because yeah, they didn't know if the um, show was even, but I guess in the hotel room at some convention, they emptied, they cleaned his room and threw away his note card for season five. So he had to redo it from memory. I think that's some of the reason it's besides the fact that he compressed some of four into five into four anyways. Yeah. That five is a very odd, right? he's like, what is going, you know, it's, it finds itself, but it takes a while. It's like it's rebooting all over again. Yeah, basically.
0: Considering it was on a
1: different channel at the time, it probably didn't help. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things for making season five different. Mm-hmm. But but I mean, I th- I have always thought that balance of outline, I don't know how much is good anymore, because I haven't done a new long one for a long time. And freedom, I'd be very surprised if there's any really well-known you know, classic book that doesn't have some element of spontaneity, freedom to it. Yeah. And I think we've done a pretty decent job of balancing outlines and uh, spontaneity on
0: Children of the Wells too, because, like I said, we do have all our writers do outlines, and that is tremendously helpful in making sure that they're following the rules of the world that we set up, um, and that it's all, you know, it's all going to be coherent.
1: But the big picture is very loose at this point.
0: Yes, we've never, we've never we tend to like push writers to go in a certain direction with the next book in a series, but we don't have any sort of big picture. I mean, well, we know, we know of a big change that's, that uh, has happened in the world that not all the characters are even aware of yet. We know that's going on, but beyond that, there's a lot we
1: haven't really, you know, and I think it pays. Children's Wells is probably the best example of this, but even when you write individual stuff to have a good sense of what threads are in play. Yeah. And use those, build on those. Don't necessarily, when we're figuring out what's the next book at Show in the Wells, we say, look, here's the, here's very natural lines that we've created either purposely or, un- purpose- or by accident. Mm-hmm. Let's pick this up and explore it. Yeah.
0: And, and that's kind of how we realize, I mean, we've, we've made some really interesting things, discoveries along the way. Because like, you know, say the Jason series, the first book is Follow the House of Kaiser. And then next book is The Rules Change. And then my book is New Wells Rising. It's coming back up. Yeah. Um, so it's I guess it's in a sense it's sort of a, a fall and rise in the reverse order sense. Not that he's gonna be coming completely back to power, don't be looking for that, but he's definitely gonna be in a much better position at the end of this book than he was at the beginning. But
1: yeah, I think having a real good sense of the pulse of your story. Yeah. And being able to figure out, does this fit you know, freedom does not mean you can do whatever you want. It means that you're free within to choose a better strand if you find it. Mm. Yeah. A
0: lot of times, yeah, you, you don't know what strands are going to be there until you're in the ditches. I,
1: qua- I quote this in Trenches. one of the – the, right. <laughs> um, There was a question or on one of the previous episode oh, comments yeah. mm-hmm. about uh, – I guess Stephen King largely just makes stuff up. Mm-hmm. He's, he, he'll scare himself writing his horror movie stuff. I mean, <laughs> I think he, he doesn't plan almost at all, and I think some people don't much care for that. Um, but I think he's on the far end of that. Let's see, go down to I think it's no, it's the one with five, I believe. In episode forty one. Okay. Sharing an eye. I think he, he who's a friend of our longtime listener, Greg. Okay, here we go. It just says this. As for losing the narrative due to various issues, do you guys think that this could sometimes be due to lack of preparation and foresight? One author that comes to mind is Stephen King. This is him writing. Early in his career he wrote many books assuming he would only write one, and would not become a series, thus most likely didn't have one overarching plot or narrative or, uh devised for the series, and he talks about that, and he says, you know, basically, should you have a bigger... You know, sometimes maybe we don't plan enough, and that's why series get rambly, or they seem like they're shoehorned in. Here's the thing. If you're writing one book, write that book well, and then maybe don't write a sequel. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I always remember, and I commented back to him, I remember hearing when Flash Ford was on and then was having trouble, and then kind of just ended, mm-hmm. in the first season or half a season or something like that, that Damon Lindelof of loss, if we mentioned, said... Flight Forward was required by the network to have a strong outline exactly what the end was and everything because people were feeling burned by Lost. And Dan Willenhoff said, it's good to know your big outline, but unless you're writing the best episode right now, it doesn't matter. Hmm. And I think Lost people's theory was like, okay, here's our general idea, but if this episode demands this, we'll deal with the consequences mm-hmm. of whatever that may be. And you can say whether... But the implication for me was that Sometimes if you're so focused on sticking straight to the to your big idea, to your here's my mega outline, and you're not willing to deviate, sometimes you just are kind of lifeless, kind of flat, kind of paint by numbers. Let me
0: ask you a question in, in relation to that. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.
1: had a big, you know, they knew from the
0: outset of their thing that they were going to have to deal with the ramifications of Captain America,
1: which were huge for S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, that's an impressive tie-in. Yeah, it's a very
0: impressive tie-in. It's the one that they've really, I mean, they they were pretty much forced to tie in that one very, you know, quite a lot more than, say, Thor. But the cost of it might have been, know, I know some people were kind of impatient with the show when it first started. They didn't feel like the characters or they were all that interesting or taking a, a while to gel, or they felt like they were holding back on certain yeah. things and all this kind of stuff, which I don't know that I felt that to the same degree, but, you know, considering what you were just saying about having yeah. to make sure every episode is the best, do
1: you think that maybe they put too many of their eggs in one basket? Hmm. Well, it's, the problem with the first season in some ways, and I, I think even with Flight Forward is that. You're also trying to find your voice in a TV show. Yeah. That's... And I think some of the, like, I thought so, at first the characters didn't gel and they were kind of, they didn't quite work for me the first couple episodes. And I'm like, I don't know. And I don't know that that was a, a flaw of them waiting because of the time. I think it's just one of those things that most TV shows have trouble with in the first couple episodes. It takes a little while for yeah, the characters the Not all to the the TV shows, yeah. but there, many of them have, to, have a rough time of getting going. They have they have the, here's a cool idea plot you know here's how i sell it to the studio but how do i make it work week to week well yeah and that's the
0: tricky thing about tv too i mean you have a a very limited time frame to to make these these episodes in the movie i mean for a movie like captain america you're working on captain america for like two years yeah in here you you've got like you've got 22 hours worth of stories to tell and
1: you know and you gotta keep it coming so i I do remember thinking the first, I don't know, three, four, five episodes were just kind of like, I don't know about this. I'll stick around and see what happens. And then it seemed to really hit. And I don't know if that's a fault of them waiting for this S.H.I.E.L.D. thing because they had this whole... Uh, I mean, they had they, a lot of interesting things going on. They had, once they once they got going in earnest with the clairvoyant and the the project, the death lock and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. all that stuff, then you had a story, and you got deeper into characters, and you saw more of the world, like, going to the, their school, and... Yeah. I think it just took them a while to, like, get past kind of the bland, we're introduced, we're, you know, here's what we do, here's the, you know, here's our... It's like X-Files Monster of the Week sort of okay. deal. And maybe it was some treading water, maybe they didn't, maybe they didn't know how to get started, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, we want to do this Captain America thing, but we can't yet, so we'll just kind of... Have them run around for a while. Okay. I, so I don't know. It's that's it's hard fair. to tell just because. Yeah, for that, that ha- is First is hard half to season, mm-hmm. some shows do a great job, and a lot of shows just take right. them six episodes. Yeah, that's fair. I will, I will, um, I will pick a
0: nitpick a little bit on another superhero show on right now, and that's Arrow, which I know you haven't really been watching no. rich, So I won't say too much about it, except that recently there was a uh, uh, a major twist at the very end of an episode. Uh, which this ties back into our, our twist yep. thing. After the fact, the writer said, yeah, we've had this plan for a while. This has been leading toward this and all this kind of stuff. But I kind of felt like it was an interesting twist. And I think I'll do interesting things for the show. But the correlation to that with the rest of the episode, I think, could have been stronger. Mm. Because it involved the main bad guy doing something. But he hadn't really been the, – the, the rest of the episode had been kind of focused on – I mean, it was peripherally about him. Uh, cause he's been pulling a lot yeah. of strings, but he, you hadn't seen him make any other appearances. There was really no warning. So you could, you could say, okay, well, that's a good surprise twist. You got me. But it wasn't foreshadow I don't know. Th- I mean, I could be argued either way, but I, I kind of felt like it could have been stronger. I, I th- it could have been stronger. I mean, it was, it certainly served the purposes, but part of me was, was sort of like, well, why did the bad guy choose to
1: do this now? Yeah. Exactly. Well, that, since we're talking to shield that big twist. Yeah, I don't know. We should mention on spoiler.
0: Uh spoiler. It's a couple if, weeks. If old. you have, it's it's a couple weeks old. If you haven't seen Captain America by now, then
1: well, but the you've been the, the, the one character, Ward. Oh yes. You yeah. Ends out to have been a a bad guy, a, a, plant. a yeah, Hydra the whole time. And first, I, I wasn't sure whether I want to call follow or not. And then the more I thought about, it, the more I'm like, but he was trying to get in with this person and with this person and. Oh, it does kind of work. It does, yeah. And so, I mean, it was it was really shocking. And I think it made a lot of people mad, <laughs> but not in a bad way. Yeah,
0: just it it was it was interesting. It was, it was especially since you, Ward earlier on had felt like one of the weakest characters, yeah. and that was one place where like, you kind of wondered if they it was because they
1: were. I very first gut reaction, I almost wanted to call it unfair that no, you kind of changed him. There was no evidence, and then the more I thought about it, I'm like. No, I thought uh, yeah, you get away with that. And yeah. I, think, I think the next episode when you see and then they explain a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah.
0: see his and they, uh, his, they, his
1: reasoning behind doing certain yeah, so doing certain things. So that they pulled that off pretty well for yeah. you know being a like you would never have expected. But I'm sure if you rewatch, you'd be like, okay, yeah, this is yeah. So okay, well we're getting kind of long here, <laughs> but uh, we did not plan for that. Well, we did no. have we did have the project update first no, I, so. outline plan at all. <laughs> uh, okay, I get it.
0: <laughs> Um, but anyway, like like we're saying, a good
1: mix of the two is 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 a good thing to have, I think. Um, and, and if you if you tend toward outline, go for it, but just be willing to take you know if something comes up, be willing to take it, take risks. And if you happen to be more like me, with i do a lot of uh, make it on the spot, make it an effort, especially in your editing stage. You say, does this all fit? Yes. Is there ways we can make this tighter? Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, as long as you as long as you can keep all the threads in your head, well, it works decent. And remember, even uh, JRR Tolkien didn't know that Treebeard existed
0: until he suddenly showed up in his book. So, even the masters is going to get surprised by their own stories sometimes. That's so awesome. <laughs> all right. So, with that all that said, let's go into our soundtrack. Okay, for our first soundtrack today, since we were talking about uh, outlines and freeform and all that kind of stuff, I decided to go with some jazz improv. So this is called Jazz Plumber Trio. It is remixed from the main theme of Super Mario Brothers, a very, very classic, well-known theme. Yes. So uh, to do some improv with it is, uh, you know, impressive feat. So they're playing it here for us at the radio place, but this was uh, originally recorded by the one and only DJ Pretzel. So enjoy. For real, we're back. Hope you enjoyed that great jazziness. Yeah. Now it is time for our next segment, which is our take
1: on Tales.
0: All right, it's been a little while since we've done a uh, no,
1: a normal take on yeah, Tales. Yeah, an official, like... Solid, meaty. We're gonna mm-hmm. talk about stuff.
0: Talk, about, gonna talk about stuff.
1: Stuff, lots of
0: stuff, good stuff. I mean, I think we we've done stuff on like uh we've done our take on tales on summer movies and current TV shows, but yeah. the original idea of our take on tales was talk about a specific book mm-hmm. or a specific TV show or yeah. a specific movie or whatever. Go a little right more idea.
1: depth, and yeah. go a little more depth. So this time, we're that's what we're gonna do. And Nick, why don't you start us off? All right. Well, I have just recently read. Uh, Steelheart by Brandon Sanderson. I thought I'd try to read some Brandon Sanderson. If you don't know who he is, he's a fantasy writer. For me, most famous because of finishing up the Wheel of Time series, though he was famous before that for the Mistborn series, which I have not read and would like to. Um, but I thought I'd start with some of his stuff that didn't weren't ridiculously long to begin with because, well, it's in time investment. Um <laughs> yeah, I want to work up to his uh, Stormlight archives, which is like... Wheel Well, it's two books right now of like a thousand words, each, a thousand pages each. So I read actually *The Rhythmist before this, which was like his more of a young adult book. I think this is young adult, still hard as young adult, but Rhythmist seems a little younger. Younger adulter. Yeah, I guess or less edgy or something. Well, I'll go both of them because I want to kind of com- contrast, compare because I only knew him from *Wheel Time*, and he was work with other people's characters, and he was working in some cases with stuff that was already written. So I'm like, I, I like this guy. I, I thought he did a really good job with Wheel of I want to read some more of his stuff. I know he's supposed to be really good at world building. I haven't read a good fantasy series for a while. So Arrhythmatist is about a world, kind of a, kind of a steampunk America, but America's like lots of islands, like a collection of islands as opposed to a full. Hmm. But the magic in the world is chalk magic, where there's people called rhythmatists who can draw like, you, you draw a circle and that's like a circle of warding is like a shield. And then you can draw little like squiggly lines that will go and fly off and hit other people. And you can draw little chalklings, which are creatures go and attack another person's chalk. Nice. stuff. And uh anyways, chalk magic, which at first I'm like, this is not gonna be any and it was cool. Um I mean it's very limited, and then there's wild chalklings, which is why they have arithmetists that are like these two dimensional creatures, chalk creatures that you know can go up you and eat off your flesh and stuff.
0: So with the so with the chalk Creatures, they they're like two D things that would get off the ground
1: after no. you drew them. No, no, they just fly. They go along the ground. Oh, they, okay. Yeah, they're not. They're, so they're you, flat.
0: Oh, so they're flat even when they're climbing on you and killing yes. you. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like
1: they'll, they'll yeah, they'll climb on you flatwise. Yeah, everything's two D, which is kind of weird, but interesting world. Very interesting magic. There's all these diagrams in it of the different. um There's du- duels like Rhythmist duels and all these uh, defense things and you know so. Well, obviously, well thought. I'm very interesting. Mm-hmm. That book was odd because it seemed very lopsided. Like the structure would just get kind of slow and bogged down in the middle. And there's a kind of this mystery. And then at the end, like the last 50 pages, like everything happens. Not only that, but like the last chapter, it's like big cliffhanger and like the, probably the most exciting scene in the whole book, which is cool. But I don't know. It just felt weird to me. Imbalanced. It felt imbalanced. Like the last chapter is awesome. But, simultaneously, you almost want an. Au- maybe not, maybe if you're building a series, you want the best, best chapter at the end, so they want to read the next one, which I don't know when it comes out or if another one is coming out. But, anyway, so that was that. So I, I really did enjoy it, but the, se- the last 50 pages are, are very, very good, and the others are very interesting. There's just kind of slow times and it meanders a bit, and, and, like, there's some revelation of world stuff, like, two-thirds through the book, that you're not really sure how it relates, or... It doesn't feel quite like a complete book yet, hmm. in some ways. And then Steelheart, which I just read, is basically the idea. There's this thing called Calamity, like this light in the sky that came, and then it started making people have superpowers. Except everyone who got superpowers turned out to be a bad guy. So there's <laughs> only super villains. Oh my. Which is bad. Yeah. Um, and Steelheart is this guy who now owns Chicago, and his powers are basically he's invulnerable. And he can shoot like rays out of his hands and he can fly and he can turn things to steel. Like the whole, all of Chicago got turned to steel, like everything. Oh, wow. Well, living creatures can't be turned to steel, but oh. anything. Yeah. So if you're living, you can't be turned to steel. Okay. So could he like turn the,
0: if someone, if he touches someone's clothes, could he turn that to steel?
1: Um, I'm trying like... to remember. There's, there's some sort of thing that if you're very... If it's very close to a living person it, it doesn't change as much or has a harder time changing. Okay. So it, there there are rules about that. Okay. But anyways, you hear talk of a lot of different there's Night Wielder who um makes everything dark. Like so Chicago's had no sun for ten years. And and like everything's solid and there's Firefight who's this fire wielder Epic. Guy. They call him epics. Okay. Um anyway, so the main character and, and everyone had and, and just part of the thing of being an epic having superpowers is that there is a weakness. And sometimes they're very odd weaknesses. So they make a mention at some point that there's some epic over in Ireland or something whose weakness like, could only be killed by people who were like, born in a certain month. Um, but Steelheart, no one knows okay. his weakness. Well, like, there, there's an epic at the beginning the, that they try to kill. The Reckoners is a group trying to kill epics. He has a kind of precog, like he can, he knows how to dodge right before a bullet hits him and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, his weakness is, I think his primary weakness is when he's with, he's distracted by pretty women. Um, <laughs> but also you can o- you can checkmate him, you can overload his, make him in such a way where no matter which way he moves, he can't escape. Okay. Keep but waiting he, for like the weak, the guy who has a weakness of like jelly doing something. I know, I something. know. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, Steelheart, no one knows what his weakness is except the main character when he was like ten years old, eight years old, I guess, saw a bullet scratch him and leave a scar. So he so he, he, knows that he saw something about his weakness, but he doesn't know what it is. And so the whole book's him joining the Reckoners and then them working together to try to figure out what Steelheart's weakness is and hunt him down.
0: Oh, well, weird.
1: Um, so cool concepts, great world. Like, And Sanderson is very good at that from what I've read. I mean, the books I've read, not just secondhand heard. There's some scenes in this book that feel like they're straight out of... Like, they should be a movie scene. I mean, like, (laughs) the action scenes are really cool. Yeah. But my problem... Not really problem, but I really enjoyed the book. But my... I guess my thoughts or my wonderings at the end of it... like Again, the last 50 pages or so. Last 30 pages. There were a lot of twists and revelations. And, like, everything came into play that we'd heard previously. And it almost, like, there was... It's almost, like, it's too much like a movie... If that makes any sense. Oh, really? I mean, like, they're constantly twisting. Aha, This is, you didn't know this was coming. And everything's set up perfectly fine. I mean, there's no error in the fact of how it's written. But for me, I almost, like, I didn't need everything to be a twist. I didn't need everything to be, aha, haha. A big surprise. Yeah, I, and for some things that I didn't, I just bought at face value earlier on. And then I shouldn't have, I guess. Which is good writing, but part of me, like, why can't any of this be... I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. I, it's almost like when there's, too, it, when there's It's almost like it's too clean like it's too I don't know, too clean's the right word. But like you know, like check off's gone, everything that moves then mm-hmm. has a purpose Like mm-hmm. sometimes they don't want everything to do that. <laughs> if that makes any sense. I think so. Um and it's not I'm not really mean to complain against the book because I really enjoyed it and I'll read the next one. But it just it was a lot of that crammed very close together.
0: Mm. And, so, it was
1: also, and it was all – I mean, it was set up. It's not like Dusak Machina or anything. Well, one of them, they set up, but you're kind of like – it works, but – Do you think
0: it was just because there was this accumulation of too many of these twists or just too many, like, in
1: a row that did it? Maybe. I mean, on the one hand, though, you can tell what you're going for is to just say, this is a great ending. And it is. You want to read it then. But, yeah, I wonder if almost too many different things. Or, like, I didn't have – maybe I didn't have enough curiosity, and so I wasn't impressed as much as – they'd wanted me to be mm. or or I just looked at something I don't know and, and in both books there's a case and this is half spoiler so if you are planning reading maybe I'll be vague but there's someone who you trust who ends up having dark secret that they're not really responsible for which is just a weird I mean it's a nice twist like aha so you were you know the good guy did do a bad thing but he didn't mean to it was by accident or that sort of thing I don't know I don't know It's not, it's not unfair by any means, it's just sort of like, like in a mystery book, I might want, be like, okay, that makes sense because I'm trying to piece together a mystery. But it's like, I'm not even trying to piece together this mystery with the same intent, because I'm reading it for other reasons. Okay, yeah. Like, my emotional focus, my, my, my thematic focus on here and then I guess it should have been over here, and that might be more my problem than his. Mm. I, I could see how that'd be this jarring, though. Yeah, and it wasn't really jarring. I mean, I really enjoyed it. It just, afterwards, I just felt like it was something worth trying to express, I guess. And I, I'd be interested, other people, actually, I thought you might like this book, hmm. uh, because it's, you know, superheroes and movie issues. All that and, kind of stuff, yeah. Well, not heroes, <laughs> super villains. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's quite, it's an entertaining book. The characters are great, the characters are fun, the... The world is really well put together. It reads really fast. There's genius action scenes that, I mean, it would go into a movie super easy.
0: Cool. So good.
1: a lot of good, I mean, I'm not complaining against the book. I'm just kind of processing. So do you think Steelheart might be the next Divergent? I don't know. I mean, it certainly could be if it wanted to be. Now, there's only one book out right now. The f- yeah. So they wouldn't probably pick it up that quick. No. It, it might Firefight be comes out. That's the second one comes out this fall, I think. Okay. So, I'm going to read more Sanderson. I enjoyed the book. I'll read Firefight when it comes out, but it was just, I don't know, the two books together. I wish it give you more details without spoiling tons of stuff. Mm-hmm. Just odd endings a little bit or odder than I thought. And maybe that's how people work now and I just write old school. I mean, because a lot of what I read, you know, like Bradbury and Dostoevsky and <laughs> you know, right now I'm reading this, yeah. you know, French authorian romance. I mean, I'm not your normal like super modern YA reader sure so I could just be well, you have to have Natasha read it I know tell. well she's going to that's okay. why I'm trying not to be vague too because she's in she's nearby and she wants to read it
0: yeah so. we'll have to see what she thinks about it
1: <laughs> we'll come back
0: <laughs> cool well and I'll be interested too to hear once you have to tell us sometime after if you do wind up reading one of his massive high yeah. fantasy thousand word
1: books it'll be different thousand, thousand page books yeah. I should say yeah no Kenny loves he loves the Stormlight Archive the giant one okay um And he's read Steelheart, too, and I want to talk to him about it sometime, but I haven't had a chance to.
0: All right. Well, um, for mine, I wish I had a nice uh, book or a a, a really artsy movie I could talk about, (laughs) but I don't necessarily. So I'll talk about instead um, a TV show that I don't think gets quite as much attention in, like, pop culture, nerdy culture, and that is Person of Interest. Which I have talked on here about before, but I think last time we talked about it was toward the beginning of the TV season, and I've seen most of it this season, which is the first time, I think, because
1: I used to miss, I, I miss most of season two. Do you think because it's just kind of relegated to a crime, like a police drama, that people don't view it for its extra?
0: Well, see, that's the thing. I think people think it's just another crime police drama, but it's really not. It's on, I mean, it is on CBS, which is known for that sort of thing. <laughs> Prime um, Broadcasting Station. But it, it really is. There's a whole lot more to it. If you don't know what person of interest is, I'll do a quick rundown. Um, the initial setup of the show is that uh, there's this guy, Harold Finch, who had created this massive computer system, surveillance system, that would tell the government of terrorist threats. It would you know, just take in tons and tons and tons of information, um, and it would come up with a threat. Sort of like what we found out the NSA was doing, except <laughs> actually productive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But the, the system would also uh, categorize threats to uh, civilians, not considered terrorist threats, but just other minor crimes and this sort of thing where a person's life was in danger. Which, I don't remember who they said the government agency was getting this information, but they weren't doing anything with. Well, this computer programmer, he built this back door into the system where he could get this information. He The But all the computer would send him would be the social security number of a person who would be involved in a violent crime or at least is would be suspected of being involved in a violent crime, whether that person is the victim or the perpetrator. He wouldn't know which. And he winds up recruiting this uh, former special ops guy played by Jim Caviezel. The character's name is John Reese to basically go off and help protect these people. And it was and it's always really interesting, you know, each episode, because you wouldn't know whether the person they were shadowing would be the good guy or a bad guy. And sometimes you'd be convinced it was one way and it turned out to be another. Um so that that's part of the the fun part about it. But but that's the initial setup. As the show has gone on, they there've been some really interesting story arcs. In the mid-season finale, they wound up taking out. This is slightly spoilers, but they, they were there was a big arc involving this major uh, corrupt crime ring in New York City. This pretty much all takes place in New York City, and the initial it was initially mainly about these two guys. And since then, they've they've added a couple uh, detectives as allies. There's this other special ops girl that has done stuff and then there was this recurring character that uh, was originally quite a villain kind of a psychotic hacker girl but somehow the machine uh, that was originally made developed kind of this consciousness and it started communicating directly with this hacker girl (laughs) and uh, she kind of reformed her in a weird sense so it, it plays with all kinds of interesting science fiction ideas a lot of current relevance privacy ideas um, it's really, it's. You, I think you could probably call it a neo noir sort of show because you know it's a lot of grays and kind of noir kind of looks, but it's neo in a sense of that they're dealing with a lot of computer technology and um, all cyber that kind of stuff. noir, yeah, cyber, <laughs> cyber noir. I guess you could say, yeah. I like neo better, but <laughs> of course. But no, it's and it's just a really fun show and like this season especially, with, with the big arc they had last time and now they're in this arc where there's this. Uh, other secret organization that has they apparently found out that around the same time that Finch had been developing his system, the government was hiring these other computer geniuses to work <laughs> on another system, which one which didn't have nearly as many safeguards as Finch had built into the original one. So that's been a huge arc that they've been dealing with. And, I mean, very suspenseful and and... They, it's constantly surprising you is the other thing. You never know exactly where they're gonna go, what card they're gonna pull out next. I mean, and yet it doesn't feel like cheap in any way. Yeah. Um, the main uh, creator behind the show is uh, Jonathan Nolan, who is Christopher Nolan's, uh, you know, the great Batman yeah. director. Hey, oh, hello, Christopher, <laughs> Nolan. Um, it's his, br- it's his brother. And, and they, they um, work together in a lot of, stuff, don't they? They do work for together writing for writing purposes. Pur- for writing purposes, yeah. I think I think Jonathan no- Nolan actually wrote Memento. Okay. If I remember right. Um, So the writing is really good. Um, And the the characters are great because (laughs) it has this very dry sense of humor sometimes. Because both Finch and Reese are these very withdrawn kind of individuals, which works well for their jobs. You know, they're in the shadows a lot of the time. And so sometimes you get these, you you put them in these situations. Like I think one time the number that came up was this four-month-old baby or something. (laughs) So you got (laughs) these two men that have to take care of it. Uh, or then there was another more recent one where uh, the two the two former special ops people again both very hard nosed guys they had to go undercover at a high school reunion <laughs> and the guy was constantly having women coming up and slap him without because <laughs> he was taking on the personality of someone there and he didn't know anything what was going on and so it, it, it's got these little dry moments like that that are just
1: really fun but a lot of a lot of great ideas they have built into the show that's one of those shows that. I miss when it came on and I'm like, I would like to have watched that but I was watching other stuff and mm-hmm. then I just I, I need to get to some one of these days. It's it's at a point now where I really feel
0: like I would say this is a show you really should watch. Like yeah. Yeah, before I was like, Yeah, this is a fun show if you have time to go see it. I'm like, no, if if you enjoy twenty four, if yeah. you enjoy that kind of style of of ongoing serial, I mean Go check it out. Get it on DVD. Again, some of the earlier seasons, I think, focused more on the, like, you know, you had your... The day-to-day. The of. day-to-day, the standalone things. But even those, like, it, it could really surprise you sometimes about some of the twists they pull with it. Uh, it's So it's not your standard mystery remember, cop show. I remember,
1: it seemed like, I only watched one or two episodes, but it seemed like even the, the action scenes were very distinct for mm-hmm. TV. I'd say so. I mean, very well choreographed, I think.
0: You definitely get the sense that this guy knows his stuff. He's not just... You know, it's because some cop shows you see if it's an actiony cop show, you know, they'll they jump out of explosions in the nick yeah. of time and all this kind of over the top stuff. And occasionally, sometimes you will start to question, okay, how is this detective being able to just show up at these crime scenes and people aren't asking him, hey, what, what's? He doesn't seem to have much supervisor oversight. So they get away with a lot. But at the same time, you can you can tell that these guys are just so good at what they do. I don't just mean the writers, but I mean the characters themselves. Are just so good at what they do. You can kind of, you know, you see how they can get away with it.
1: Interesting.
0: So it's got a little bit of comic booky stuff, but it's a really intelligent show. Do you have time for one more quick take on tales? Uh, well, I had an idea for a, no- a quick one too, but I, I, what, what did you?
1: Well, have Well, you mind? said comic booky. You now I've read recently. I had. I want to read more of it. I recently read seven issues of the Eternals. You ever heard of the Eternals? I can't say that They're I have. From the seventies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why. Yeah. But the reason I thought, anyways, Jack Kirby made it. Oh, Jack! Okay. Famous Jack Kirby from you know the heyday Marvel, of Marvel. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and what was so fascinating it's about basically it starts very quickly where with the general idea is that they're, they're on Earth that the space gods came down and got, <laughs> of course there are gods involved. Jack Kirby yeah, does gods exactly. stuff all the time. Exactly. But anyways, so the space gods come down in the first episode and it's the fourth time and it's going to be they're going to judge mankind after watching them for fifty years. And and Jack Kirby has such a wonderful way of this like this epic way of writing and drawing. I mean, mm-hmm. his drawings are just you don't see much with that sense of wonder, that sense of like big. You know, old school science fiction had this sense that the space is big and exciting, and and now a lot of science fiction is a little more realistic. Anyways, so th- on Earth there's actually three types of people. There's and two of them have been hiding forever. There's men, and then there's also the the deviants, which are like ugly. Mutant things, and then the Eternals, which are basically they were where our ideas of like the the gods came from, of like the Olympic gods and the Aztec gods. Okay. So it's very much you know kind of Valon five deal of they've been here the whole time, and the Deviants are where we get ideas of demons and stuff, and so they all come out. But what I guess what intrigues me most, I mean, it's a very 1970s comic, you know, over the top writing and <laughs> bright pictures, and which is really. Quite exciting. Exclamation
0: know. points at the end of every oh, sentence. Or
1: five. <laughs> um, but they do it with such zeal. They do, it's, you know, Tim and I were talking off record one time about ironic. It's done with such honesty, such, mm. you know, the exclamation marks are not there to make fun of it. The exclamation marks, because that's what they're, they're like, this is big and important and, you they're, know, excited they're excited about doing They're excited about it. Yeah, yeah. it's It's like, yeah. And so just on that, I like it. But what gets me more and more is that this idea that the gods are coming and they're judging, and this sense of how powerful and I mean, obviously it's sci-fi, but you don't see very often kind of this this sense of wonder and, and almost trembling in fear of great cosmic beings hmm. coming to judge you, and then and this sense that and this this constant idea that comes out that humans are more likely not to fail because they always war, they always take the bad choice, you know. It seems it rings very true in some ways in the presentation of 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 human nature and of how we would actually react to God you know shields in it and they they, they try to blow up the gods because that's what shield does you know <laughs> and, uh, and but there's other people who are trying to change anyways so besides just the cool 70s Jack Kirby vibe just the that underlying kind of what I feel like is at least a true version of the idea of Sense of judge, judgment and how people would react to different things, and this, you know, it, it talks about big questions in a very comic booky sort of way. Not like like it's trying to talk about big questions, just it's just what it's doing. Sure. So I, I there's like I think they only made 17 issues or 19 issues, and I got I've read seven of them. I want to read some more. And then Neil Gaiman apparently rebooted it for a couple of issues. Oh wow! Like seven issues later. So did they have did the series have an ending? Or? No, I think it just got stopped. Oh, so I don't bad. know if Neil Gaiman tried to end it or oh, okay. wrap it up at all. I don't. I haven't read his his interesting or just uh, yeah, like a seven issue mini series. Hmm, I've not heard of that. I'll just tell. I I'll, I'll bring back more when I finish it.
0: Something to check out. Um, one quick, quick, quick yeah. thing. I think we should
1: talk yeah, we about should b- we
0: wrap up. Uh, Captain America, because yes. we talk about superhero movies a lot, and it's not really a, a summer movie. We usually talk about the, no. all the summer movies at the end of the summer, but it was, it
1: was at least the beginning of April. And we're talking so. about S.H.I.E.L.D., so we might as well talk about Captain America. Yeah, exactly. So, what did you think? I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I was talking with our friend Nathan the other day, and he, he has, like, a hierarchy. I, I, I'm horrible. I can't compare Marvel movies anymore. Mm. You know, I'm not like, this is my favorite. But, anyways, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Some of the action scenes were genius. Oh, man. The, the fights were fantastic. The, the elevator scene and then him <laughs> him destroying the airplane with the motorcycle was awesome. Definitely. Um, Black Widow was was surprisingly awesome. I mean, like, oh, yeah. like character-wise. Like, not just like she could beat people up. Yeah. Like, it was a neat view of her hmm. character. Sure. I was happy that they didn't... I mean, obviously, I knew they were going to try to... Cap was going to try to uh, turn Bucky. Mm-hmm. Because that's, you're going to have to do that. But I'm glad it didn't happen right when he was try, you know, trying to shut it off and have him change. You know, it's just a little too cliche. I'm glad they did that and then like, okay, we're now we're going to deal with this. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Nick Fury's fun.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed a lot of it. I will say I think this is the first movie from the Marvel Cinematic Universe that as I left the theater, I was feeling kind of bummed. Like, I mean, I know, like, cause Thor, no, well, Thor ended a little bittersweet, but the first Captain America ended probably more bittersweet. But at the same time, at the end of it, you got that, you know, Captain America is going to join the Avengers. He's going to come back. We're going to see. We're going to have good times. This one, like, S.H.I.E.L.D. getting destroyed really kind of bothered me at first. I think because I'd kind of fallen in love with it from the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show, because on that show you see you know cuz in the movies shield was could be kind of annoying sometimes yeah. you know they take all your research stuff and they they'd give it back to you you know if yeah. uh, if a god threatened you <laughs> but uh, but you know they could be kind of annoying but in the in the, in the TV show you really got to kind of care about shield a lot and
1: they showed how they had sacrificed the a nice lot. The thing about the sh- about the show is that they really did constantly push the idea that Shield was kind of two sided even before this came out though. Yeah. Which was not I mean, that was a good setup on their part for yeah. the T V show.
0: No, they they certainly uh, like I said, and there were there were definitely some bad aspects to Shield before that.
1: Yeah. But I don't know. It was, I don't know. I, I sometimes wonder at first I'm like, how did so many Hydra get in there? And then the more I thought about it, and like really at that point people who would be in Hydra and people who would be in Shield, they're getting the same information. You know, mm-hmm. but for different reasons. I mean Yeah. I mean, there's a very thin line between between doing that
0: for a good reason and yeah, doing and it for yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, a yeah, twist, be... a twisted reason. yeah.
1: yeah, no that that's true. So no, I can see it being distraught, but because I mean, it blows up a major aspect of the Marvel Universe. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and and one potential problem I had, which I don't know that I've heard really anyone talk about, is like, you know, this is a Captain America movie. Does the cap really grow during it? cuz he se- it seems like he he ends the movie with some of the same questions and problems that he starts with.
1: You know what, I I would say that was actually a and I might be misremembering. I've kind of a problem with Thor too. I didn't think Thor did mu- had much arc in Thor 2 either. It was more about Loki in some ways.
0: Well, that's okay. That's a fair point. Um I guess I didn't mind it as much as in Thor because Thor didn't really seem to start the movie with a whole lot of problems Well, except,
1: except missing his girlfriend. Yeah, I mean, and it worked for the movie but Thor, Natasha enjoys the first Thor more because Thor grew. Yeah. Thor too. There's kind of this whole like taking charge of the kingdom thing, but it doesn't feel you don't connect with it deeply like you you would with yeah that's or true. as deeply. And I think if nothing else, I think Captain America, if there's a growth, and not so much for really the growth as the fact that he realizes there's so something for him to do. Yeah. Well, which. He kind of had that in the beginning. Yeah, but he felt like he wasn't... He was just following orders. He wasn't making good... Yeah, good a personal choice. It's possible, yeah. I mean, I think that's what they were going for. Whether it felt like that, I don't know. Yeah. Um, Now, if they keep... Apparently, the guy who plays Bucky has a nine-movie contract.
0: Seriously? Marvel.
1: I just read that this week. Nine-movie? He's been in... Two or three so far. Holy cow.
0: I know Marvel has, like, huge plans <laughs> for the
1: cinematic universe. So my guess is so. your next Captain America will probably have yeah Winter Soldier and have a lot more.
0: And, and yeah. that, that's kind of what I realized, too, in the sense of... I think there's a lot of my dissatisfaction with the movie will be... If they deal with it in an interesting way in future movies and stuff, then it will be okay. I mean, Dark Knight was that way. I was very dissatisfied with the ending of Dark Knight, and then it fed right into Dark Knight Rises, which I really appreciated.
1: It is interesting that the movies are almost – they're movies, but they're also episodes at this point. They really are. I mean, to process them fully. I mean, I think it's a valid thing to say, hey, Cap didn't grow much in this movie and say that was a weakness or it could have been done better, but – May you know, and maybe that's just a weakness for what they want to get done in Captain America, which might be maybe they just want to destroy Shield. I yeah. mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm I am I'm really curious where that idea came from and how
0: I'm sure there was a lot of talk in the writers' rooms about that. Yeah, so all right, well, yeah, we're a, running long here, so we
1: better get moving. Yeah,
0: it's a good thing. It's a very good thing that we have short uh, soundtracks. Today. Yes, it is. All right. So, Nick, what's what's our uh, website?
1: Our website is derailedtrainsofthought.blogspot.com. Our uh, email address is derailedtrains at gmail.com. Uh, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us
0: comments on our website. And all of our uncut episodes, of course, are available at mixler.com slash derailedtrainsofthought. That's Mixler, M-I-X-L-R. And
1: uh, there are, You'll hear little things that get scrubbed out later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing too bad. No, no, not not that much. I think we got to get moving here. This sounds like there's just more screaming going on in this radio station. The typewriter guys been... They've been running pages of a script down, like, every five minutes.
0: Yeah, it seems kind of chaotic. Yeah, lot, d- uh, Maybe we shouldn't emulate ourselves after these guys. No, these guys
1: seem like they're only by the sea of their pants. Yeah. No outline at all. Okay. Okay, but, well,
0: anyway, I, it's time for your soundtrack. Okay,
1: right? so... Uh, my soundtrack is by... Remixed by uh, that's We're gonna attempt that's his name. Um, it's remixed from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original game, which was on Nintendo. It's called Jamming With My Ness, I believe, but basically, they didn't have a name. It's from an album called uh, Ness Jams, which is genius, and I don't know why I haven't bought it. When I found this song again, I'm like, why did I have not bought this su-? Anyways, it's him playing piano, and he plays it very... He's a genius piano player, very fluid. Mixed with chip tune, and it's uh, pretty slick. So please enjoy.
0: Cool. All right, here we go. Thanks, folks. Uh, we will uh, see you. See you soon. This has later. been yeah. This has been
1: Tim. This is Nick. And bye bye. Signing off.